We've been going through Genesis, and last week we studied verses 1 through 5, uh, the first day, um, creation of the heavens and the earth. At this point, the heavens and the earth were only water, the waters it says, but then God created light and divided the darkness with the light, and he created that light out of nothing. Thus, the beginning of creation of time, or the beginning and the creation of time, and last week I did not go to this verse. Maybe I didn't throw this up on the board either. If you want, you can turn there. But 2 Timothy 1.9, uh, when Paul is talking to Timothy about the beginning, he says, I didn't mark it in my Bible either, um, in verse chapter, uh, 2 Timothy verse, or chapter 1, verse 9, um, it says, who has saved us and called us with our holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And notice this, which was given to us in Christ before time began. And so this is another support. The word time there is the word chronos, where we get the word chronology from. So one thing after the next began um, in verses 1 through 5, when the Lord divided day from night. And at this time, we don't know if the earth was rotating, and so, you know, if the light source was over here, the sun and moon hadn't been created yet, and we'll see that. But thus was the beginning of time. God created a regular day, called it day and called it night, morning and evening, and he said that was the first day, the very first new thing. It reads, then God said, Establishing a sequence of time, sequence of days, not ages, not groupings. So we're talking about regular days. We uh, scratch the surface of the gap theory, if any of you are familiar with that. Just enough really to ask a couple of simple questions. I mean, if there were fossils that had human fossils even and, and all of animals and there was diseases found in these fossils and these are from millions of years ago, how is there disease and death before fall in the garden it doesn't make sense and i'm not talking to the evolutionists and all that that they've got their own problems i'm talking to the christians who would would be you know grabbing onto this gap theory uh to think that there was some type of carnage we don't really need to insert anything in between the verses to it's just a regular day 24-hour day and god had established these sequence of days the other question i had was you know if, if uh the distance to the stars can be measured. Well, it takes so long for light to get here from those stars, but the Bible says he stretched out the heavens with his, with his hands. And so he stretched out light. Or the light was already there, and he just put the light bearers there, and we'll read about that. Um, so uh, the more we discover on this earth and in this universe with all these telescopes and, and microscopes and Splitting of atoms, the more I just glorify God. It doesn't challenge my faith. Um, the more we look at Romans chapter 1, we look at Psalm 33, knowing that he did all this. It's his great strength and power and honor, and we give him the glory for it. And uh, so that's enough for me. And if you want to pursue some of those theories further, there are many young earth biblical creationists, scholars more than I am, who are also qualified astrophysicists and biologists and geologists. Some of the names, if you want to write them down, or remember um, A.E. Wilder Smith is one. 
I think we all know Ken Ham down in Kentucky. He's got the Creation Museum and all. And uh, Russ Miller, we've had him here before. He lives in Arizona uh, at the Grand Canyon, does tours. And uh, Brian Young's another one we've had here. Jonathan Safardi was one who I was recommended by Rob Yardley to get his book. I've been looking at that and studying that as well. And there are many others. But uh, they believe in a young earth, around six, 7,000 years. And um, regular days, six regular days. But let's read again the whole chapter. But this time, if you can, I want you to look at some things. The sequence of days. Maybe see if you notice, just while we're reading through it, what things were created before other things that doesn't seem to kind of necessarily fit the way it might. You, you might think it would, as far as the natural order goes. Look for things like repeated words, things that are said over and repeated phrases. And let's just go ahead and read through it together again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Well, then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb and that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and he made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the faces of the firmament of the heavens. And so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Well, then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, creeping thing 
and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Well, then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all, the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, and it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I think we'll try and get that far tonight. Um, Genesis uh, 1, verses 6 through 10, now begins the, the second day. And God continues to create from nothing. There's a point at which he begins to have things bring forth. But at this point, it says he, he creates from nothing. It says in the waters, saying again, let there be. A firmament separating the waters. Now, the word firmament basically means a surface of expanse or a vault, if you will. Um, we think about a safe or somewhere where you keep precious things in a vault, but this is the whole vaulted ceiling, if you will, or the whole vaulted surface. Um, if you look at the atmosphere from photos or if you've seen from photos from space or maybe you, you get up in a plane and you can make out the curve of the earth, and it's not the window just bowed out, I don't know. But um, there is, uh, it's funny, the flat earthers think that that's why the earth is curved in a plane. Because uh, Anyway, I won't talk about them. Um, a firmament separating the waters, it's, it's a vault. And if you look at the atmosphere, you see that it has that bit of an arc to it. Uh, when you see pictures of the northern lights, you can see that surface. It goes to a certain point. And there's, obviously, we know there's atmospheres and different layers and things in our atmosphere. But this is what he spread out. This is that expanse. This is that, uh, this firmament. But he also said there's a firmament um, above. There's plenty of waters, in my mind, stored in the heavens. Um, that could be the waters that he's talking about, stored in the clouds, stored in the atmosphere. Um, there are those that speculate that the waters between the firmaments are way beyond out into the furthest stretches of the universe, and so we may or may not ever see that or get there and all because it fits the language of the firmament being between. Um, I take it as I see it, and I think it was written for the person, for the perspective from where they were standing on the earth. I think that that would be the clouds in the, in the atmosphere. Now, um, there's... I'm certain there's a there's a different world we live in now than what it was then. You know, before the flood, I think things were different. Um, don't have a clue. 
Uh, it's very likely that the earth and the atmosphere were different before the flood, but that's open for many scenarios, speculations, and theories, and, you know, you can take them and try and fit into Scripture and, and all, but, um, you know, some would use this to explain man's longevity before the flood. I used to kind of think that, that how did these guys live to be almost a thousand years uh, before the flood? Did it have something to do with that? I don't know. Um, God did it. He created us to live. These We were created to live forever. In fact, uh, we'll look at that in chapter 3. Um, these bodies were before the fall, before sin, before corruption, before decay. These bodies were designed to go. And uh, later God said man's years, after the flood, he said man's years will be 120. Psalm 90 says, if we're, you know, could be, maybe we'll get to 70. And if we got a little vigor, maybe 80, 90. We know people these days live into their hundreds uh, here and there th- throughout the world. But Psalm 90, if you want to look that up too. Uh, but God says the reason for the firmament was to divide the waters above from the waters below. And this firmament, he says, he called heaven. Um, the firmament of the heavens is also where God placed the lights to divide day and night. We'll see that in verse 14. So for me, when I think about the firmament, it's everything that's up. <laughs> if you want to find out where those waters are that it separated, I guess I, I, I like the, the atmosphere and the clouds and all. Uh, it could have been, again, different back in, in uh, at creation and changed when the flood came. And again, it's up to speculation, and, and uh, someday God will tell us. But... Um, you know, Psalm 19 says the firmament shows God's handiwork. Psalm 150 says we're to praise him in his sanctuary and praise him in the firmament of his power, the expanse, that great and awesome unlimited expanse of his power. Again, Romans chapter 1, it's his, his creation that declares his glory. All of his attributes, it says in Romans chapter 1, even the Godhead can be observed by all men, all mankind, throughout all of history, to know God. and his, uh, they sh- They're without excuse, it says. But he called it heaven. The word heaven basically means the heavens uh, sometimes, the same word. Sky, the air it's used for in scriptures. The visible atmosphere, the visible universe in the heaven. When we look up and see the stars, and I'm sure back then when there were no city lights to wash out the atmosphere, you could see quite a bit more. Um, so uh, that's where the, the heavens were where the birds would fly, as we'll see in verse 20, where the rain falls from at the flood in chapter 8, says it comes from the heavens. And I think that's speaking of the layers of the expanse of the earth's atmosphere. But then there's a heaven where the sun and the moon and the stars abide, and a universe But heaven is also from where the Bible says that God sent fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe these are meteorites or space from space or rocks from volcanoes. Or if you go along the Golan Heights, there's a few volcanoes that go along that ridge. If you want to speculate on how he did that, how he managed to guide them right into one little spot like that just from a volcano, I'm of the opinion, take it for what you want, that... that, uh, he simply sent him from heaven, his heaven, his abode, his dwelling, not necessarily from anything. If he, if he wanted to 
set up meteorites or, or anything to come and hit the earth at just the right time and just the right place there to bury Sodom and Gomorrah, he could easily have spun that into existence way at the beginning as well to the point where they just decided to land. Look at the moon and every uh, all the, the carnage the moon has been through since uh, till the day we see it now. So, um, so there is a heaven where the sun and the moon and the stars abide. Um, and same heaven, possibly, where the hail and the fire, which was upon Egypt, the fire from heaven, which was upon the prophets of Baal for Elijah. You know, when it came and hit Egypt, these had some pretty good aim. It wasn't just some coincidental, you know, hailstorm. I mean, it stopped right where Goshen began. And Goshen was where the Jews were, and Egypt was where the Egyptians were. And so that's some pretty good aim if it were just a random uh, meteor shower, if you will. Genesis 14 says God is the possessor of heaven. Genesis 24 says he is the God of heaven. He is the God of earth. But the scriptures also declare that he is the God above the heavens. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, looking at verse 32 through 39. The Lord's warning the Israelites against idolatry. And he's going through and giving them instructions. But in order to establish his authority as well, he reminds them. His authority is already established, but they need to know it as well. And so he says, For ask now concerning the days that are past, which are before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or any great anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials and signs and by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? And so he's trying to remind them who he is. And it's never been done before as he brought this people out unto himself. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord God himself is God and there is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on the earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of, this, out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you and give you the land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore know this and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. My point being there's a heaven that's not necessarily been created or it hasn't been created in our account in, in Genesis. It's what, what uh, you know, it's not the atmosphere or the universe. It's from where God speaks. It's from where God hears. Let's go over to First Kings. Just a real couple of verses there. Chapter 8, a real quick passage. You know, David knew this. Solomon knew this. Um, David wanted to build God a house, but he knew that God didn't dwell in houses. Um, 
he didn't, wasn't allowed to. He had blood on his hands. He was a man of war. And uh, so it passed on to Solomon. And Solomon had finally completed the temple. And as he uh, was dedicating the temple to the Lord in, in chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, he says this very interesting thing. I now pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. And he goes on to say, when we pray to this temple, hear from heaven. You know, we're not, we're not thinking and looking at this temple as if it's anything other than what you've commanded us to do, where we make the holy sacrifices, where it's the sanctuary, where you've put your name, it says. But where does he hear from? He hears from heaven. It's a different heaven than what was created. Uh, it's the heaven that opened up for Moses and the 70 elders of Israel when he showed himself to them. It's the heaven that was opened up to Ezekiel when God showed him visions of the throne of God and the cherubim and the seraphim that stand before God and he showed Ezekiel all these things to come. Not to mention the army of God's angels surrounding the Syrians when, when God opened the eyes of Gehazi. Remember when the, they were surrounded with all the Syrians and Gehazi was panicking and, and Elisha says, you know, Open his eyes, Lord, and all of a sudden, Gehazi, I can see the legions of angels, chariots of fire, it says, surrounding them. And that'll give you peace real quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, or the host of angels from heaven to the shepherds at Bethlehem. That's the heaven that's opened up. This is the heaven Jesus spoke of when he said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the voice came from heaven saying, This is my, my beloved Son, Hear ye him. Uh, it's where we store our treasures rather than on this earth. It's where God's throne is. It's where Jesus came from. If you turn to Ephesians 4, um, chapter 10, um, chapter 10, no, chapter 4, verse 10, it's where Jesus ascended to. It says, uh, backing up a little bit, uh, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascends on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended, descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended, where? Far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. This is the heaven that is far above all heavens, the heaven that's far above um, the atmosphere, far above the universe, beyond the universe. And um, this is what Stephen saw when he lifted up his eyes and they were stoning him. And he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. This is where Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus, where Peter saw the sheet let down from heaven with the updated menu. It's, it's the heaven that was open to John the Apostle in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22, where more detail is given of what goes on in heaven than really any other place in Scripture. Jesus is revealed, and that's why it's called the book of Revelation. And there he is at the right hand of all power and glory, majesty and honor. 
and forevermore. If you go to Corinthians, Second Corinthians first, um, we'll come back to First Corinthians in a little while. But in Second Corinthians five, I guess my overall thing here is to try and let us know that we're talking about creation. We're talking about how great and awesome it is, but it's it's uh, there's a heaven that is beyond all that we we know in creation. But chapter uh, five in Second Corinthians verses one and two only for now, and for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, and in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. This is where it gets interesting, eh? Now we're involved, eh? And Paul was there in 2 Corinthians 12, just a few pages over. Um, If you want to go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, Paul's talking about a time, some believe, when he was uh, traveling around Asia, and he would go into a town and uh, preach the gospel in the synagogues. And it was uh, new to some. Many would get saved. Uh, usually, generally speaking, the religious leaders at the time saw their flock disappearing. And they didn't like it. So they ended up uh, casting him out and many times stoned. And sometimes and left for dead. And as he was left for dead, some believe that this is when he possibly saw this. And he won't even say it that he was the one that was there. He'll talk about it in the third person. He'll say, I know this guy. And he says in verse 1, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations in the Lord. He's, he's confirming his authority in, in, the, in the Lord as an apostle to these Corinthians that uh, some of them in the fellowship there were challenging who he was. He says, well, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. Well, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. He's talking about a third heaven here, and that's how he's describing it where he was. And we've been talking about it up until now. Um, uh, And again, uh, of such a one I will not boast. Um, Notice what it says in verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise, he calls it and heard inexpressible words. You know, I think about if we went to heaven, we'd talk about what we saw. It's interesting. He's talking about what he heard. What was it that he heard? And it's, it just really, to me, points to the, the power of God's word. Um, it's not always necessarily what we see, but what's true about the Lord and in his word. Which it is not lawful for a man to utter. In other words, you don't even want to try and speak what it is he heard. You wouldn't be able to do it justice. Um, of such a one I will not boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. And he goes on to talk about better to be weak and full of the Holy Spirit, weak in the things of this world and in this flesh, and uh, but full of the Holy Spirit than it is to have all kinds of silver-tongued speech and not have any power. Paul refers to this as the third heaven, The Lord has prepared a place for us that where he is, we may be also. That's what we saw. That's where we put our hope. That's where we lay up our treasures. Not anything in this world that's passing away. 
Our inheritance is reserved for us in this heaven. Not a created expanse or a universe called heavens, but the eternal and everlasting heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Let's go back to Genesis. And we're looking at uh, what's interesting, if, you, if you're paying attention there, um, he says, God called the firmament, in verse 8, heaven. And so the evening of the uh, evening and morning were the second day. And then, there's something missing there that you see in all the rest of the verses. God didn't say he saw that and saw that it was good. Not for that. Not on day two. It's missing. So there's a reason, I guess. Uh, Verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. Now God saw that it was good. So basically, I think the subject was waters. He divided the waters for the firmament, and now he divided the waters with land. And where the land begins and the waters end, they go no further. And he's established that. We have what we have these days. And, you know, God creates another new thing out of nothing. He didn't use any anything coming out of. Uh, the dry land simply appeared, and it was so, it says. And now he says it was good. The waters are divided. The firmament then gathered, separated by dry land. He called the waters seas, and he saw that it was good. But now let's look at the rest of what happened on the third day. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. He doesn't say just let there be. This is uh, really the first time that he creates by a new thing, but it's created out of something. The earth brings forth the, the herbs. It's not the end of the third day yet, as he says, let it bring forth another thing, first thing, but not created out of nothing, brought forth out of the earth. Um, there's a reoccurring phrase that begins here, maybe you noticed. It talks about that thing that yields seed or fruit. Another thing comes here that we haven't seen before. It's this word kind. You know, after their kind. Seed is basically the word for seed. Sowing, it means offspring, means descendants, posterity, children. The seeds of plants have the simple function, really, to replicate the plant that they fell from. They, the, the, he says, you know, to continue to grow and according to its kind, yield fruit. And it replicates itself. It yields fruit. The seeds and the fruit fall to the ground. Much seed within each plant to exponentially manufacture much produce of the same kind. He says it's the same kind. It's not, um, you know, we've these days managed to, genet- you know, broccoli is not natural. Broccoli is a genetically modified vegetable. If you have, well, not necessarily. I think it was before genetic modifications. I think they just spliced some vegetables together, and um, so I've been told. I didn't do any homework on that. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just stories. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, you know, these days they they and even the Lord talks about grafting. You can graft in to to the olive tree. Um, 
But so now God says the seed itself is in itself. Um, any plant, the herb, the tree, the fruit, the grass, with all the seeds, it's all within itself. It grows. And again, it, it, you, each one has anywhere from dozens to hundreds of seeds and more that then exponentially continue to manufacture much produce. And later we'll see, he made it for food. And therefore, it's, it's uh, made to do that. Now, the fourth day, verses 14 through 19, God said, let there be lights in the firmament. This is not a recap of verse 1. As some might say, there's kind of an overlap, they say, of three different phases and, or groupings and all. Because he says flat out, it says this took place on the fourth day, not on the first day. And, uh, and, and also this means that, indeed, the earth came before the sun. Now, another reason right there that you should not try and accommodate, you know, the theory of evolution with the scriptures there's, there's no accommodating evolution with scriptures. Um, the earth can't come before the sun according to the, the evolutionary theory. You know, there's no way it would, would happen that way. The sun was first and, and all, all of it came from gases and dusts and so forth according to them. But look at here. The earth was already created, already bearing vegetables, plants, and the sun hadn't been created till the next day. Um, two great lights... First of all, again, he, he follows through with how he had divided darkness with the light that he'd created on day one. And now day four, he creates new things out of nothing. There's nothing that they're brought forth from. And he places them in the firmament of the heavens. And so obviously they're above our atmosphere. So that firmament is farther out like we talked about. Two great lights and the stars. It's our sun and our moon. And all the stars, and stars mean shining ones, uh, can be read as that. And so it includes the planets, you know, uh, at the time. And all that, uh, they would have been described as such. And this was to divide, it had a purpose. This was to divide the day from the night, the light and the dark, from verse 5. But now with a specific purpose. As you read this, you see that there was a specific reason for this. And it's to rule. All of a sudden there's rules. Nobody told me there'd be rules. To rule the day and the night. God begins to establish rules. And how do they rule? Well, they mark a sequence of time and the signs and the seasons and for days and for years. So now we begin to mark the way the earth will go through its cycles. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. Now there's preparing for each season for all the planting and the harvesting. There's seasons to the plants that he had put on the, on the earth and that came out of the ground. The light that God had created already was bringing photosynthesis from the day before, or grass would wither. Um, it brought these plants life. Now the sun was simply the bearer of that light. We think of the sun as being the original thing around here. Well, no, light was here first. The sun came along. The Lord created the sun to bear that light. I don't know how you want to get your head around that, but the bottom line is light was already here. In fact, when you think about it, light is going so many different directions. Light from stars, from the sun, from these lights, the directions around us are just every which way. We can't understand that. Well, 
he just simply put the light bearer there, a direction from which it comes. And now, obviously with the seasons and for the markings of time, now the earth is rotating. And it's rotating if, if at this time we don't know the, it was on the axis that it was on, so when it goes around, because he says it's marking seasons, and we know that the seasons that are longer and shorter have to do with the sun and the angle and the orbit and the, the, uh, um, the tilt of the axis and all. And so the light God created had already brought photosynthesis to the plants. Now the sun brings that life. And there's nothing to say that we aren't already revolving around the sun as uh, the rest of the universe, also planets and stars revolving universe or um, galaxies and, and all that, that spin and rotate. God placed and stretched out. That light divides darkness day and night because of those orbits and rotations. So there is a chance if we do make it as far to Joshua, the longest day in Joshua chapter 10 is an interesting Bible study because all of a sudden we've had this seasons ongoing, continuing, and then there's a day when Joshua needs a little extra time. Lord, can you make the day a little longer? And the Lord stayed the sun and he stayed the moon in the, for the time it took to, for Joshua to overcome the enemies. And we may get to that. But next is the fifth day, verses 20 through 23. Um, you know, God saw that it was good as well. The sun, the stars, made him to rule. In verse 20, God said, Let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. First time life is mentioned. Let the birds fly above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. You know, everything. The waters that were along the shores, the marshes, the, at this time the sun and the moon were rotating, the tides I'm sure were, were going. Um, it's... I don't know if this makes sense to you or not. Maybe there's a reason that they say this, but you ever see those pictures where they show the continents that used to fit together and they kind of separated and they kind of fan out? Well, the, the oceans are, relatively speaking, only about, I think at the most, seven miles. What's the deepest ocean? Seven miles or so, something like that. Well, the plates of the earth are 40, up to 44 miles thick from what I read. Well, so the ocean's just laying on top of the, there was no separating. There was no pieces of a puzzle that needed to come apart. And so, and all the, all the, the, the way that the um, tectonic plates jam up against each other and cause the, the ridges, you know, the mountain ranges and the underwater mountain ranges and all that, it uh, is just the surface of that, those tectonic plates of that the crust of the earth. And so that's the simple deception that just, I don't understand. Africa doesn't fit into South America. There's a whole, just under the water, there's a whole much more land that, you know, it's not going to float. Anyway, just please forgive me, but I just, some things seem obvious to me, and yet they just keep putting them pictures out there. Um, maybe there's a reason for all that. But So now God creates a new thing out of nothing, and they're living. They have life. There was already plant life, but now... God specifically says a living creature and it has gills and lungs, the birds, 
with breath and with blood. Uh, first let the waters abound with living creatures. Abound means lots of them, from the smallest organism to the largest whale and whale shark and everything in between. Uh, back then, I can't pronounce these names, but there are all kinds of somethingsauruses that uh, very easily they found skeletons for that were around as well, both above ground or on the ground and in the sea. Um, the diversity of all the species of fish, to me, declares the great creative power and glory of God. Same with the birds that fly in the firmament. What about flying fish? Still a fish. Because why? He said everything after its kind. 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to go there real quick. When we're talking about kinds, and this becomes a little more important as we see day six, but just so we can kind of lay a little foundation, Paul is trying to declare what it means when we raise up with our new bodies. Trying to explain so that they can understand and he uses the example of a seed that's planted. It's planted one way, grows up another way, and all. Um, but verses, First uh, Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 41. Some will say, well, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? He says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, and there are terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is not the one of the terrestrial, is another there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star difference from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, and the dead body, and, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. Um, and he goes on describing why he's doing this. But my point is, there are kinds and, and it's different kinds that the Lord has established and, and made so that they would continue on after their own kind. And he said this was good, but notice it says he also blessed them. First time anything gets blessed in all of creation. It says, and, and so how does he bless them? Um, be fruitful, multiply. Now there's hatchlings and chicks and fingerlings and gatherings into flocks and birds and schools of fish and pods, etc. And he blesses them. He just, the word bless, make happy. And more than anything, it sends them out on their way. That Be blessed. Get out on your way and, and do these things. Plants have DNA, and it's in the seed to replicate. Well, animals reproduce by passing DNA with all the information of that kind of animal to another of its kind. And unless there's manipulation by man, no kind will reproduce with another kind. And no different kind is going to come out of a kind. Because God made it that way. God blessed them, sent them on their way, living creatures to give their kind to reproduce. Multiply, fill the seas, fill the skies, the birds, small, big, living creatures to multiply. 
And if a living creature is going to be blessed, that's kind of how they're going to be blessed. You know, to be able to have a kind, to have their pod. You know, um, animals like to gather together of their own kind. And, and also, the sixth day is a big day. Verses 24 and 25, first of all, back in Genesis chapter 1. Um, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Again, cattle and creeping thing. The beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Well, simply put, you know, he's got the fish, he's got the birds of the air, and now simply he's creating, but not out of a new thing. Here we are back to where the earth brings forth the animals. He did not create cattle and wild animals out of nothing, like he did the sun, like he did uh, the firmament and it's, it's uh, the same as the plants and the trees. They were brought out of the earth, it says. Living creatures with breath, with blood. But God did not breathe in these animals a soul and a spirit, as we're going to learn in chapter 2. And we'll get to that. But God saw that it was good. This is the last time he calls what he made good. Good equals pleasant, right, agreeable fitting, appropriate, beneficial for good welfare is the meaning for good. And it was God's good pleasure and for the good and welfare and provision for the ones that he created and the ones that he was about to create for them to benefit from it. Why does God keep all this going, all this creation? Well, it's his patience and his long-suffering for salvation. Much can be proven about creation verse, uh, versus the theory of evolution simply by the seed faithful reproducing after its kind and the kinds and the species, but the species are not the same as kinds. The obvious design and the architecture of DNA, they're still struggling trying to, to figure out how to make it seem as though there's not a designer. And they've corrupted the DNA. I mean... Um, they're doing all that they can as we're all too aware of what we've been going through in the last couple of years. But design requires a designer. Architecture desire, or requires an architect. Nothing has ever changed its kind. I mean, traits and variations may occur like different breeds of dogs and cats, but their kind will always be their kind. And again, unless man intervenes and tries to manipulate, nothing will ever change a kind. This is it's very significant for us as we'll learn as we continue through Genesis because God has made covenants with his creation. God has made covenants with mankind. God has made covenants with specific men that he calls out to himself out of this world. And this is based on their seed. This is based on their generations that follow, their posterity, their descendants. All this to fulfill what the Father and his Son have ordained from before the foundation of the world concerning Jesus coming and the Messiah coming to us. But verses 26 through 28 says, Let us, uh, then God said, Let us, and that's Elohim, then God is Elohim, and it's also what qualifies that word us. Elohim is plural, 
We talked about this. Plural, make man in our, plural, image, according to our likeness. And it says, let them have dominion over the fish. Now, when it says make man, the word is singular. It means the word there is Adam, uh, but it's singular. It doesn't mean mankind. And so when he says, let them, he's not talking about mankind. He's talking about man, and it qualifies it a little later when he talks about male and female. The word image means to resemble. The word likeness means similitude or like or as. God is spirit. God's eternal. God's invisible. God is not contained or limited by what he created, including man. So we're not created in the image of God that we're a, a replica or a identical or a copy or a duplicate of God. We're only in the image. We're in the likeness. Um, and how so? You know, hands, feet, and arms and legs, face. Well, God does have those attributes given to him, but he's, again, greater than anything he created. But what we do have that only he has, the ability to reason, to love, to discern, to have a will to do something, to be creative. We're sovereign individuals. We have a soul. We're a person, an eternal soul with a life and a spirit with moral capacity, with language, the ability to make choices. We're designed for companionship, the ability to comfort one another, the capacity for faithfulness and mercy and forgiveness. And as such, we are infinitely more precious and valuable than any other created thing. And we have an eternal soul. We're made in his image. The animals, they are not. They're separate, exclusive from any, or we are separate and exclusive from any animal, even apes or monkeys, even though there might be what some consider similarities. And this is why human life is sacred. This is why there's a sanctity of human life. And that life comes from human beings. Remember the seed? That's how it's passed out. So at the beginning, conception, it's right there in Genesis chapter 1. Life has sanctity. It's human life. It's life in the image of God. Not because we've grown hands and arms and, and things. No, because it's the seed. It's the life that was given and uh, grown, fertilized. Cells begin to separate. Precious and sanctified at that moment of conception. This is also why it's sin to transgress sexually. And why we'll see the sanctity of marriage in chapter 2. This is why we're to honor our parents. This is why it's sin to steal or kill or covet a man or his wife or his life. Because man is sovereign. Man is sanctified. Different than the animals. Go ahead. You can steal any cows, anything, and you won't be in trouble. But steal another man's anything, and you are in trouble. That's what the Lord said. God created them. When he says them, it's male and female. Make a note of the differences right at this point. What are the differences between male and female in these verses right here? Which is made in the image of God? Male and female. 
Doesn't it say that? Which is to have dominion over the fish and the birds and the cattle and the creepers. Just the guys? No, male and female. Which is to have dominion? The dominion is to rule, dominate, tread down, subjugate, prevail over, take and reign. In fact, over every moving thing on the face of the earth. Ladies, this includes snakes and spiders and mice and bats and all that stuff, right? Well, if you're uncomfortable with this, it might have a bit to do with chapter 3. Chapter 3, an awful lot changes, and it's awful, and it's a lot when the fall happens. And um, notice what's uh, missing. Other human beings. We're not to have dominion, dominate. We're not to tread down, subjugate, prevail over other other human beings. It doesn't say that at all. It says all of creation, every moving thing. This also changes after the fall. God gives mankind dominion over every moving thing, and God gives mankind every herb, fruit tree, that yields seed for for food, and he gives all the food to the animals and provides This is everything in which there is life. He's given food. This is the account of creation, and there's many significant details in the rest of Scripture. There's a lot more to come in chapter 2 that come back and and add details to this. But this is regular creation in six regular days. A sequence has order of events as plainly given. There's no need to fit anything else into it. All we need to do is add the rest of the scriptures to it. Nothing from outside scriptures needs to be added to it. Everything God saw, he made, he says, was indeed very good. This time around, it's not just good. He says it's very good. Everything. Um, Total and each and every part. The whole of it. All of it. Behold means indeed. Look. Look. Check to see, or it means low, or behold. And the word very there means exceedingly much, means with might and force and abundance, very greatly pleasant and right and agreeable and fitting and appropriate and beneficial for good welfare like we saw before. To provide for and meet the needs of mankind, male and female, and everything that has life. Indeed, it is very good. There's no evil. It's very good. He saw all that he made. There's no evil yet. There's no death yet. Nothing has fallen. And to this day, he still provides all of our needs. And he still does all this. But now it's with the kingdom in view to bring us to himself. If you want to turn real quick to Isaiah 40, there's a reason that we study this. Verses 28 through 31. God appealing once again to Israel, comforting his people. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable, he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, it says. Why do we do this? Why do we study this? 
Why do we want to learn everything we can about our creator, specifically in creation? Well, it renews our strength, right? And so that's why we do what we're doing. Going through the book of Genesis. Uh, next week, we're going to spend studying the Sabbath. And in the following couple of weeks, uh, the fall of man. And uh, how he created man and, and woman and the differences and all. And it'll be a, a good couple of weeks. So why don't we go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, again for your word. And um, Lord, it's your simple word that we nourish ourselves with. Like uh, they took manna up every day because they needed a daily feeding. And we just ask that you would feed us with your word and continue to bless us. I pray it would strengthen us to understand these things about creation and to understand these attributes of yours. And Lord, that you would just set our hope upon your kingdom to come, the kingdom of heaven, the heaven that we saw described. And I just pray that you would be keeping that in front of our hearts and minds, that we could set our eyes there, and that these things of this earth would just be our ability to serve and love upon others and to share your gospel. And so we lift up all of that, and we just pray that you'd once again send us on your way. And Lord, I pray you'd... uh, Protect us from the cold. I pray for all those that couldn't come out. Lord, you'd be with them as well. And um, that we'd be able to be blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.